You are tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman. Hi, this is Roy Showman, and I'm very, very happy to be back with you on Salvation is from the Jews. Let me first just say, by way of explanation, that that expression, Salvation is from the Jews, although it might sound a bit over the top, is actually very legitimate, very kosher, if you excuse the expression because those words came from the mouth of Jesus himself when he was speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. The passage is found in the Gospel according to John, uh, chapter 4, verse 22. Jesus said, salvation is from the Jews. And the purpose of the show is to, in some sense, explore what he meant by that, in what ways, through the eyes of the Catholic Church, was salvation or is salvation from the Jews. What is the mysterious role of Jews and Judaism in salvation history? What uh, to explore the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, and to celebrate the connection between Judaism and the Catholic Church. It's a great privilege to have this role. I myself am a Jew who most, most, most gratefully has entered the Catholic Church. A little bit later in the show, a friend of mine will come on to join me. Uh, his name is Roger. He also is a Jew who gratefully entered the Catholic Church and he will share his witness testimony with you. One of the reasons it's a great privilege and pleasure to have this role is because I get the treat of trying to illumine the joys and the privilege and the importance of being Catholic and the sacramental life to cradle Catholics from the perspective of an outsider, because sometimes it is more apparent what one has when one comes from not having had it just like we in the United States tend to have always had enough food to eat and maybe are not fully appreciative of that, if somebody spent 20 or 30 years of their life never having a full belly, I'm sure they would be much more appreciative of what they have when they can uh, every night go to sleep uh, not hungry. And so let me start the show with a uh, script, uh, uh, scripture passage. It is a, the well-known passage of Lazarus and the rich man from the Gospel according to Luke. And it may not be immediately apparent why I'm starting here, but I will read the passage, and then I think uh, it will become apparent why I'm starting here. So here's the passage. These are the words, again, of Jesus uh, from Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angel to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and sent Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Why am I reading this? What does my story or the story of the connection between Judaism and the Catholic Church have to do with this 
parable. Well, usually when we hear this parable, we think of it in terms of charity to our neighbor and sharing the good things that we have had in this life and not being selfish. And that is, of course, a very central meaning of this parable. But when I read this, I see something else, and I see a parallel with a situation which we as Catholics, and most of our listeners as cradle Catholics, have with the rest of the world. Because one can also read this passage and think that the, the Catholic who understands what they have in the Catholic Church is that rich man who, in fact, feasted sumptuously every day, for we are able to feast quite literally at the table of the angels every day when we receive the Holy Eucharist. And Lazarus, the poor man who was dying to be fed with the scraps that fell from the rich man's table, can be seen as a picture of, I hate to say it, but in some sense, everybody else. Everybody else in the world who does not know, does not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, does not have a sacramental relationship with the Catholic Church, does not have the truths which are taught through the Catholic uh, doctrine of the Catholic Church. They are, in fact, sitting there outside the door. I mean, I know this from my own experience. Before I became a Catholic, before I had my conversion experience, I was dying to know what the meaning of life was, almost literally, by the way, in the sense of almost despairing of going on living. Uh, I was dying to have a to know God. I had given up on the hope of even knowing God by the time I reached adolescence or early adulthood. That's the situation of everybody out there. You look around, you look at people who are mired in sin, who are mired in a succession of romantic relationships trying to find the meaning of life, who take drugs trying to find some transcendental value or some real charge out of life, and they are Lazaruses. They are people sitting outside the gate, dying of starvation, to have what is available through the Catholic Church. And we all are going to die someday. We are all going to be brought before the tribunal and, and judged in the presence of Jesus, before Jesus, and he is going to, in some sense, ask us what we did with our lives, and did we share the feast that we were receiving at the table of the Catholic Church with those who were outside dying for the crumbs that fell from our table. So I hope I'm not being too preachy, but I want to start with that exhortation because we're living in this, uh, I think that Pope Benedict called it a dictatorship of relativism, this culture which tells us that everybody has his own truth and we shouldn't impose our truths on others. Well, by being Catholic and by sharing the faith, faith with others, we're not imposing our truths on others. We are sharing the banquet with others. And we shouldn't think of it as triumphalism. We shouldn't think of it as lording it over other people. We should think of it as us having been given, undeservedly, this infinite wealth, infinite riches, infinite privilege of a intimate relationship with God, with the graces which flow through the sacraments, and it's our job to share it with those who are less fortunate. So let me not get too um, tied up in that exhortation, but I did want to start with that. Now, before I bring on Roger, I would want, I want to go on to another uh, short topic, which is the mystery of the Jews' failure to recognize Christ after he came. I'll probably talk about this in more length in future shows, but since in the last two shows I talked about the role of Judaism in salvation history between creation and the coming of Christ, I thought I should address the issue. 
of the mystery of the Jews' failure to recognize Christ when he came. So I, I, I will go into that um, catechesis, so to speak, for about the next 10 minutes, I think, and then we will take a short music break, and I will bring on Roger. Let me add that if you want to email me with suggestions for future shows, with questions about the role of Judaism and salvation, or just questions about Judaism that strike you as a Catholic, uh, that you might want me to address in future shows, you can easily do so by emailing me at my website, which is uh, salvationisfromthejews.com. That's all one word, salvationisfromthejews.com. And the email address is mail at salvationisfromthejews.com. And if you want to listen to previous shows, you can do so either directly from the Radio Maria website or, again, from salvationisfromthejews.com. So let me just go on briefly to the mystery of the Jews' failure to recognize uh, Christ when he came. As I discussed in previous shows, all of salvation history can be seen as being divided into two phases. Phase one was to prepare for the incarnation of God as man, and for that purpose, God revealed a divinely revealed religion to mankind to prepare for the incarnation. That divinely revealed religion was Judaism. He revealed it to a somewhat arbitrarily chosen single ethnic group, which is that of the Jews, for the purpose of preparing for the Incarnation, with the intention, always, that after the Incarnation happened, the history of mankind, the history of salvation, would enter its fulfillment stage, enter Phase 2, which would be the Catholic Church, and that special privileged relationship between God and man, which had been given to the Jewish people for their role in bringing about the Incarnation, would be extended to all of mankind through faith in Jesus Christ and through the sacraments of the Catholic Church and through the spreading of the Gospel. Now, given that the Jewish people were given the most exalted, privileged, important single role ever given to a single ethnic group, that of bringing salvation to all of mankind through Jesus Christ, one can easily turn around and say, what a shame that so many of them, so to speak, missed the boat and didn't recognize Jesus when he came. How can that have happened? At some points during history, people have even turned around and said, how could they have been so stubborn and prideful and hard-hearted not to have recognized our Messiah, their Messiah, in fact, when he came? However, that is not really the most on-target way to look at the situation, and there is a tremendous mystery to the Jews' failure to recognize Christ when he came, and that mystery has light shed on it, a tremendous amount of light shed on it, by St. Paul, and in particular by St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, and in particular in chapters 9 to 11 of St. Paul's letter to the Romans. So let me spend five or ten minutes um, shedding some light on this mystery of the Jews' failure to recognize Christ when he came. I I will simply begin by uh, reading some passages from the chapter 11 of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and then talking about them a bit. So starting at the beginning of the chapter, uh, St. Paul writes, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it sought. 
The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see, and ears that should not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see. So what do we learn from this passage? First of all, that as St. Paul said, God has not rejected his people. Because, uh, just because the Jews rejected Christ doesn't mean that God rejected the election of the Jews. Uh, St. Paul will talk about this later in the chapter, so I will wait until then to go into that in more depth. Then St. Paul went on to say, uh, quote, Israel failed to obtain what it sought, close quote. In other words, Israel failed to recognize the Messiah. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. In other words, a remnant of Israel, a portion of Israel, recognized the Messiah. But the rest were hardened, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see, and ears that should not hear, down to this very day. Let their eyes be darkened, so they cannot see. What a tremendous mystery here. The Jews' failure to recognize Jesus wasn't simply a matter of their stubbornness and hard-heartedness and so forth, but God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see and ears that should not hear. In other words, the Jews' failure to recognize Christ wasn't entirely their own fault, but was in itself a mysterious part of divine providence. What's this mean? It means a number of things. It certainly means that the Jews should not be blamed then or today for their failure to recognize Jesus, because it is in itself somehow a mysterious part of divine providence. This does not mean that we should not evangelize them. This does not mean that we shouldn't try to share the faith with them and bring them to the knowledge and joy of their Messiah and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But it does mean that we should respect the difficulty that they have coming to faith in Jesus, and we shouldn't blame them for it. Now, why did God do this? St. Paul goes on with an explanation of this. He says, So I ask, have they stumbled so as to fall? By no means. Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? For their rejection means the reconciliation of the world. What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? I will repeat that, and then I will talk about it a little bit. So I ask, have they stumbled so as to fall? By no means. Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. What's that mean? What is St. Paul saying there? Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. What St. Paul is saying is that if the Jews had accepted Jesus en masse, wholesale, if you excuse the pun, salvation would not have come to the Gentiles. Salvation has come to the Gentiles through their trespass, through the Jews' failure to recognize Jesus. What's he mean? Why is this the case? We see what he means and why this is the case in the book of Acts, chapter 15, the very first church council, the Council of Jerusalem, which was called about 50-51 A.D., was called to resolve a burning question, a crisis among the apostles that threatened the church in those early days, what was this burning question that had to be resolved? It was, are we to allow Gentiles into the Church, or is the Church only for Jews? Think about that. Today we have a um, horrible kind of fake theology floating around, sometimes it's penetrated even into Catholic circles, that says, well, sure, Jesus came to bring Christianity to the Gentiles, but we should keep our hands off the, Jew off the Jews. They don't need Christianity. 
they are still in their original saving covenant with God. In other words, the Church is only for Gentiles, but it isn't for Jews. Was that the crisis behind the Council of Jerusalem? No. It was exactly the opposite. The crisis behind the Council of Jerusalem was, can we even allow Gentiles into the Church? Or do they first have to become Jews? Uh, For this reason, all of the Apostles and St. Paul and St. Barnabas uh, returned to Jerusalem for this Church Council, at which it was decided, no, we... The Church is for Jew and Gentile on an equal basis. Now, just imagine, uh, this was the problem, this was the crisis, this was the question that had to be resolved in those early days when, by and large, the Jews were rejecting the Church, were rejecting Jesus, were rejecting the evangelization of the Apostles. And so, uh, we see this in, in both the Book of Acts and the letters of Paul, he would go from city to city. He would preach first to the Jews, trying to bring them into the church. They would, by and large, reject him, not universally, but by and large. They would sometimes throw him out of the city, sometimes have him flogged, sometimes stone him and leaving, leave him for dead. And then he would go to the Gentiles and evangelize the Gentiles, and the Gentiles would, in much larger numbers, come into the church. So pretty soon, the church was composed... Um, in majority of Gentiles, and then it became very apparent that the Church was for Gentiles as much as for Jews, or at least on an equal basis with Jews. But imagine if the entire Jewish world had entered the Church in those first years, then it would have looked much more like the Church was first and foremost for Jews, because Jesus was a Jew, all of the Apostles were Jews, the 3,000 people who were uh, preached to by St. Peter on Pentecost and entered the Church were all Jews and so forth, uh, Jesus, in, in fact, in his entire life and ministry, uh, preached virtually only to Jews and evangelized only to Jews. The danger was that the Church would look like it was only for Jews, and it was only meant for Jews. That danger was avoided by what? It was avoided precisely by the Jews' rejection of Christ, the Jews' rejection of the Church. Uh, pretty soon, the Church was primarily Gentile, and it was painfully evident that the Church was as much for Gentiles as for Jews. So that is what St. Paul means when he says, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Then St. Paul goes on to say, but if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? For their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So if the Jews' failure to recognize Jesus brought such a grace to the Gentile world, meant such riches for the Gentiles, then just imagine how much more their inclusion, their acceptance of Jesus will mean. If their rejection meant the reconciliation of the world, in other words, the reconciliation of the Gentile world with God, what will their acceptance mean of life from the dead? If the Jews' rejection of Christ brought such graces to the world, just imagine what their acceptance of Christ will bring to the world. So I think that uh, I will um, end that little piece of catechesis there. I know I'm leaving you hanging halfway through uh, Chapter 11 of, of uh, Paul's Letters to the Romans, but I don't want to get too preachy, and I think that leaves, uh, that leaves us in a fine spot to celebrate the entry of Jews into the Church, for St. Paul said, if their rejection meant the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So there are many, many reasons to pray for the conversion of the Jews, to evangelize the Jews when opportunities arise with friends or neighbors, and to have a heart for the entry of the Jews into the Church. As I sometimes like to say, 
Um, the world owes the greatest gift God ever gave to mankind, that is, Jesus Christ and the sacraments of the Catholic Church, to the Jews, isn't it time that we return the favor? So with that um, introduction to the show, and indirectly introduction to Roger and his witness testimony, I will leave you for a few minutes of a, of a little musical break, and when we come back, uh, we'll have Roger with us to share how he, as a Jew, as in fact, as I understand it, a somewhat anti-Christian, anti-Catholic Jew, gracefully found his way into the Catholic Church. I'll be with you at the other side of this break. temple, waiting in the court, waiting for the answer to a promise, and all at once he sees them in the morning sunshine, a couple coming carrying a baby, now that I
You are listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman. Hi, and, and welcome back. And we are very, I'm very happy and feel a little bit privileged to have on the line another Jew who has gratefully entered the Catholic Church, a friend of mine who I had the great fortune and gift of getting in touch with relatively uh, a little bit earlier in his journey into the Church, a Roger. So, are you there, Roger? I am, Roy. Good to, good to hear your voice. Uh, well, it's, it's great. Thank you very much for, for sharing a bit of your journey with us, and uh, I hope celebrating um, the, uh, the entry of Jews into the Church with us. Um, maybe a place to start would be, uh, how long have you been in the Church? How long ago were you baptized? Well, I was baptized in uh, 2007, but my conversion experience was in 2005. And my wife and I then, you know, went through RCIA and we had a couple of things to take care of and, um, and then we entered in the Easter vigil of 2007, April 7th. A wonderful mazel tov. <laughs> Thank you. In our circles. Uh, I don't know, perhaps the place to start would be to start a little bit with your, with your background. I, I, uh, I'll tell our, our listeners, in fact, that one of the reasons I got in touch with Roger to come on the show is that he recently had his witness testimony uh, published, I think, by, was it Catholic World Report? Yeah, Catholic World Report, which is uh, Ignatius Press's uh, online magazine. So if you want to see his, uh, read his entire witness testimony, as it appears there, you can go to their website. In fact, if you just Google a Catholic World Report. And, yeah, actually, uh, if you just Google my name, you'll find it. Uh, that name uh, is Roger, and his last name, I assume that's okay to say Roger no, now no. at this point? It's Dubin, D-U-B-I-N. Anyway, but so uh, from that report, or rather from that account, I know that uh, it's not as though as a child you were particularly uh, sympathetic to Christianity or the Catholic Church. That's that's an understatement, Roy. Um, Yeah, uh, the Judaism in my family was pretty insular and uh, pretty anti-Christian. And... It was also almost completely secular. Um, I'm not sure that anybody particularly believed in God. Nobody seemed to go to synagogue. There was celebration of the high holy days, but that was strictly a matter of, you know, tradition and identity, etc. Um, yeah, the, my parents were both agnostic at best. Um, somehow, I believed in God. I'm not sure how that happened, but. Um, it's not like I was particularly enamored of him, though. Uh, I just knew he was there, and I, I I believed in that reality. But I had no real sense of being Jewish, except in the sense that I would have fights with Catholic boys. <laughs> because uh, evidently, I, uh, I I personally murdered Jesus. I don't know if you know that, Roy, but you know it was uh, a long time ago. A lot. Yeah, yeah, it was a long time ago, and I I've kind of forgotten it, but. Anyway, that's a, a you know sort of a childish uh, version of you know anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. um, but at least it's pretty explicit rather than you know subtle. Um, let me um, can I I I, got yeah, no. I didn't know I was so preachy, but let me put in a little preachy interlude there, which is uh, to our Catholic listeners, it is true that anti-Semitism or you know hostility to Judaism and Jews puts up a tremendous barrier to the conversion of the Jews. And one of the reasons I, I named my book, Salvation is from the Jews, titled it that way, is if you really want to help bring a Jew into the Church, it would help 
to tell them that you think salvation is from the Jews. In fact, Jesus said salvation is from the Jews. Show them the positive side, the positive attitude that true Christianity has to Jews and Judaism. It'll lower the barriers, and it'll certainly do a much better job than, you know, 10-year-old boys beating up other 10-year-old boys, which has been the experience of a lot of us. So anyway, I, I'm sorry, Roger. That's no, okay. That's okay, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because that was one element that contributed to my antipathy towards Christianity. I think the attitude of my family was basically anti-Christian and also anti-Catholic. Uh, Catholics especially were blamed for, you know, the pogroms and the medieval passion plays and, you know, elements of the Holocaust even. And, uh, you know, that, that uh, prejudice is certainly as irrational and unfounded as the prejudice that blames me personally for killing Jesus. It's all pretty insane, but, you know, there it is. Um, I'm not sure any prejudice is anything but insane. Um, but in, in, in any case, you know, growing up as not a particularly observant Jew, to say the least, um, I was bar mitzvah, all that was uh, kind of a show thing. Uh, the odd thing is, is that I did come to understand a good deal about Christianity, basically from the big movies, you know, uh, the the sword and sandal epics, which I really liked, uh, uh, you know, the, the, in our time. I mean, I'm 64. And there was an awful lot in there, whether how accurate it was didn't matter, but you got the basic idea of the crucifixion of Jesus and... Uh, you know, and, and, and in a lot of ways, the way Judaism or the Jewish leaders of the time were presented, uh, you know, you, almost anybody might hate him because of the way Jesus was, you know, thrown up there, and they wanted to get rid of him because he challenged their authority, and everybody, you know, loved him and all that stuff. So all of that was pretty pretty bizarre and pretty confusing to me. Um, but the real thing that I disliked about Christianity and about the name Jesus was uh, the way it was portrayed in, in, in the world popularly, you know, for televangelists and uh, born-again Christians. And, I, you know, there was, I, and this is just the way it appeared to me, this sort of, you know, glassy-eyed, um, mesmerized repetition of the word Jesus to the point where, you know, I wanted to scream every time I heard it. So I really, really, I, I got to the point where I couldn't stand to even hear the name Jesus. Um, it meant nothing to me. And not only that, my own sense of who Jesus actually was as a Jew and someone who had changed the world and you know, changed the calendar, uh, uh, changed the entire social conscience of humanity, told me that the way that he was being depicted couldn't be the real guy. But I also had no real sense of who the real guy was. I didn't think it was something that was knowable, and I didn't really care. Well, how on earth did you get from there to here? <laughs> Honestly, that's above my pay grade, Roy. Um, a more unlikely and, and more undeserving object uh, uh, the Holy Spirit could not have chosen. Okay. Let me put it another way, because I know exactly what you're saying. I feel exactly the same way, which, of course, conversion is always... Uh, the fruit of un unmerited grace. Sure. And someone somewhere was praying for us or for the conversion of the Jews, offering sacrifices and so forth. Sure. And somehow this, you know, great, you know, great bucket of gold at the end of the rainbow was showered over our head, and there was nothing we did that, you know, brought us to that point. Oh, but the other happy. side of that is 
Yeah, there is a narrative, I'm sure, behind your entry into the church. You know, there is, I think, but it's all it's all hindsight is twenty twenty. At the point where my sudden and shocking, you know, unwanted and unwelcome conversion experience happened at the time, of course, afterwards it became something very different. Um, there would have been, I would have had no sense of anything leading up to that point. It's only in hindsight, looking back, and, you know, realizing that, you know, one time in the 90s, my, my wonderful wife prayed for me to be converted, even though she knew how impossible that was. I mean, I look back in, when I was a musician in, in Vermont in 1970, we lived, uh, literally 50 yards from a Benedictine monastery and got to know those guys. And they were terrific people, and you know we played music with them and all that stuff. And you know, in mass a few years ago, I realized that some of the songs we were singing were written by the monks of the Benedictine Priory of uh, of Western Vermont. And it struck me. I mean, literally, I went cold, and I just and I just knew those guys had been praying for me. And, and you know, so those are the kind of things that I think you really have no idea what leads to that point. But no matter what, what happened to me on, you know, April 19th, 2005, in the Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport at the moment Pope Benedict was introduced as the new pope, couldn't have been, you know, more sudden, more shocking, more unexpected, and more uh, devastating. Oh, something happened to you in the Phoenix oh, I, Airport? I have a vague recollection of something. Well, <laughs> would you consider sharing that? Well, I don't know, Roy. What's it worth to you? Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, you know, just backing up a little bit, because when Pope John Paul died, um, someone who I had, he meant nothing to me as a spiritual leader, but I, I had a great admiration for him as someone who helped to, you know, a very courageous man. I knew some of his history, and he, he aligned with, you know, President Reagan and, and Prime Minister Thatcher, and, you know, brought down the Soviet Union, and he stood up to these guys in Poland. I mean, he was just a courageous, historic, you know, heroic figure, and I really admired him for that. But, you know, I, you know, he was a Christian, so I, I don't, you know, the whole spiritual side didn't mean anything to me. But, you know, Barbara and I did watch the funeral. Um, you know, I work from my home. I'm a consultant, and we could take, and she works from home. She's an artist, and we could take the time. And, uh, it was very involving, I have to admit. Um, it was it was moving. Um, and, you know, I got to see uh, Cardinal Ratzinger. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure what element that had in it, but in the two weeks that followed the funeral, um, obviously something was moving, you know. And as I mentioned in that article that uh, Catholic World Report asked me to write, and at one point Barbara said... Uh, You've got to get religion, Roger. You've been drifting way too long. Not that that particularly meant anything to me at the time, but I, again, in hindsight, it stands out. Anyway, on the morning of uh, April 19th, I was on a business trip. I flew from Prescott by a commuter flight, went to Sky Harbor Airport, got my cappuccino, waiting for my flight to the West Coast. I was in a good mood. Everything was fine. I knew the meeting was good. It was, you know, there was no stress. Um, I'm sitting there sipping my cappuccino and then you know the on the tv monitor that they have in the airport there's the white smoke and you know i i'm interested i've been following the funeral and uh like who's it gonna be it's news the pope is always news and uh you know at the moment that uh 
Pope Benedict came out, I that was my conversion experience. The the sense I was just watching on TV, and he he comes out, and he's um, even though this did not happen, the sense to me was that the camera zoomed all the way into his face, which if you see the video of that moment, that doesn't happen. And then his eyes looked right at me, and the most powerful presence of Christ came in and just, you know, ripped me open, and I burst into tears, and I felt like a complete idiot. I, I didn't know what had happened to me. I'm not a weeper, you know, New York kid, and that's just not me. But it was, you know, it was overwhelming, and I, I, I didn't have time to call Barbara. I, I don't think I would have been able to. I got on the plane, and I'm sitting there, and had the most shocking, you know, inner visions and, you know, demons that I've been struggling with and things going on. I could barely close my eyes because there was so much going on. And interestingly enough, the two people that picked me up from my business meeting, you know, I was consulting with this company, were both Catholics. And so I, I you know, I've never even talked about religion with them, so I've started, and I said, I started off, I remember, like, how about that new pope? <laughs> And I was just trying to get some conversation going because I was completely, completely shaken. You know, I somehow got through my meetings and then, you know, got home. And uh, and it wasn't like this was like, oh, now I'm going to become a I was comp- I was just so shaken. I was so devastated. I didn't know how I was going to deal with this. And But at a certain point, I, I said, okay, I have to learn about the one person in the universe I've never wanted anything to do with. Jesus Christ, and I, I, I just couldn't believe that this was something I had to come to grips with. So I went onto Amazon, and uh, I, I still don't know what search terms are yours, but I, I had to find a book, and the first book that came up was Salvation is from the Jews. And uh, Oh, who wrote that? <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, but uh, you know, I need to talk to him someday. Anyway, it... Uh, you know, I read a lot of the comments, I read about it, and I thought, and I, I read something about you, and I said, you know, this guy, you know, is like my brother from another mother. You know, we came from the same kind of background, same part of the country. Um, you're a lot smarter, obviously. And and I thought, you know, maybe this, this could help me. You know, maybe this could help me to understand what the heck just happened to me. And so I got it, and uh, I remember at the same time I... For some reason, I ordered a a CD of Catholic Latin hymns. When I was a kid uh, in New York City, occasionally I wandered into St. Patrick's, and uh, I loved the music. Um, and of course, that it's, you can't find that music all the time anymore. But I loved the music, and I had always had a grudging respect for the Catholics because they always had done pretty much the same thing for two thousand years. Whereas, you know, there was like 50,000 Protestant denominations all doing something different. Again, these are just my outsider perspectives. Um, so I ordered this uh, Latin CD and, and reading your book, um, I played the music. It was like a multimedia experience. And like every three pages, I'm yelling at Barbara, come here, I gotta read this to you. And, you know, Barbara was thrilled that I had gone through this experience until I told her, I said, okay, um, I'm ready, but, it's the Catholic Church or nothing. And uh, that was a shock to her because she, her background was Protestant and 
she thought, oh, gee, we'll go find a night church and, you know, all that. So that was a big challenge for her. She had to get over a lot of things to do that, but she knew that this was our opening, you know, to find a Christ together, and she went through it. And, of course, now she's uh, now she's the great Catholic, and I'm still the, <laughs> you know, the stinky reprobate tailing behind. Oh, well, I'm married, too, so I think that's sometimes... I think that's the role of us husbands, <laughs> reprobates trailing behind our exactly. virtuous wives. Our virtuous wives were hoping that somehow we can ride their coattails into heaven. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Uh, and and we get them into heaven by all the suffering we impose on them. That's that, exactly. That's what I keep saying. Um, so what's your what's your experience now? Uh, you know, after you've been baptized, after you've you know entered into the sacramental life. Mm-hmm. Um, last week we had another. Jewish entered into the Catholic Church on, and she actually said something which really staggered me, which was she shakes uncontrollably when she receives communion. I assume that's not the case with you. It's certainly not the case with me, but what's your experience of the sacraments? Well, the sacraments, uh, to me, uh, and I think, you know, it's, it's not always the same, obviously, each time you, you go to Mass and everything, but... Um, you know, as, as I've, took, I've mentioned to you in prior conversations, you know, I, and this was another thing you and I have in common. You know, I, I I was involved with you know Eastern mysticism and you know New Age kinds of things for a long time, and uh, you know, it, I, I do think it's uh, you know I'm unbelievably grateful to be a Catholic. I mean, I just cannot believe how fortunate I am. But you know, I think it's important to to think of some of the good things. There are so many bad things in that particular way of looking at at life. The good thing that I got from those years was an appreciation of the mystical. And that's something that I think many Catholics would do well to develop in their understanding of the sacraments. I mean, the entire religion is based on miracles, the whole thing. You know, baptism is a miracle. All the sacraments are miracles. Um, I mean, Albert Einstein once said, "There's only two ways to look at your life: that either you know that everything is a miracle, or that nothing is." And the the form the formalities of going to mass, and and that that I think many people, I assume, I'm I'm, I'm guessing, I can't look into anyone's soul. People miss is that they are experiencing a miracle from start to finish, and certainly when when they receive communion, they are if they're willing to see it that way, have entered onto a a bridge between heaven and earth. Um, but that's how I see the sacraments. I mean, to me, it, the Catholic Church is. Uh, it's a it's 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 a repository of miraculous events that can be incredibly personal in, in everyone's lives. But I, sadly, I, I I think a lot of people miss that. It's it's stunning. It's shocking. It's humbling. The things that we experience. And I remember when I approached baptism for those two years between my conversion experience and entering the church. I said, "Look, I believe that this miracle exists, but I don't believe it's going to work for me. I, 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 it just, I'm Jewish, you know. How come all my sins? And there were tons and tons of them. How are they supposed to be forgiven? I mean, and why? 
I, mean, I should be punished for this stuff. So, you know, I remember praying for two years and visualizing taking all this filth out from under in my soul and sort of shoveling it out onto the surface because the visual image was, well, then the water of life will, you know, be able to wash it away. And that's what I did for two years was <laughs> shovel this stuff out so that the baptism would work. And it was, as a result, I think, a, you know, an astounding experience. But, you know, wow. miraculous, miraculous. Everything... Everything in the Catholic faith is a miracle, and I, I, I wish more people would see it that way. It's uh, Actually, it's, it's a miracle. The, the transubstantiation, right, the Eucharist, is exactly. a miracle that's unimaginable, literally it, unimaginable. It is. You know, it's funny. It's uh, some people who, and I've had this conversation, who, who believe in transubstantiation, believe that they're actually... Consum- consuming the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, somehow have a problem with something like the virgin birth. Well, I don't see how that could happen. It's like, well, wait a minute. Once, yeah, you, once you accept miracles, what's your problem with one miracle or another miracle? Yeah. I'm going to put in a plug for another miracle, because I recently had a, a very gratifying experience of it, which is the sacrament of confession. Exactly. You know, Absolutely. the feeling, I mean, of course... By faith, we know there's a miracle which takes place, which is that our sins are forgiven. But from time to time, we actually feel that. I I found myself weeping in this very beautiful kind of purgative way after a recent confession. Um, You know, where I really felt, you know, kind of cleansed in a way. Uh, You know, I think that, honestly, just the decision to go begins the miracle. And I, I know I, I'll be sitting there and going, "Oh, I got to go to confession." I know it's time. I got to go to confession. Once I decide to go, I, I turn into another person. And then when I'm sitting there with my confessor, I sometimes can barely speak. I'm shaking, you know, from the beginning. And then you know, I'm just—it doesn't even matter what I say or what I don't say. And then uh, when you receive absolution, you know, it's just overwhelming, uh, and that's a miracle. Yeah. Um, I We only have a couple of minutes. The time has flown by, but uh, speaking of miracles and also speaking of grace, uh, I wonder if you would recount that um, experience that kind of introduced you indirectly, that dream experience that introduced you indirectly to Christianity about a year before. Yeah, the, I'd, be, I'd be happy to. That was, uh, again, totally bizarre because... You know, I, I had no sympathy for Christianity, just for me to have a dream about Jesus. And not only that, it was one of the most vivid and power, probably the most vivid and powerful dream I ever had. So, you know, just out of nowhere, I'm dreaming that I'm in an empty city street uh, with something like San Francisco, but it didn't really matter. And I'm walking along in a business suit going to work, and uh, waiting for me at the entrance of this building is, in a business suit, Jesus Christ. And... I know it's him, and, you know, he obviously knows it's me, and he looks like the guy that I always imagined Jesus had to be, not this, you know, sort of feminized Jesus, which I loathe, and I loathe to this day. Um, but the real Jesus, you know, this incredibly powerful, incredibly tough, incredibly no-nonsense guy that changed the entire world. 
Anyway, he's there, and we shake hands, and he says, all right, I need you to do something for me. Go up to the top of this building and kill Satan. So I'm like, why me? And he says, why not? And so I, you know, in a dream, you know, it's, I could have, I could argue that now, but <laughs> in the dream, I had no argument. So I went in this unbelievably plush, you know, super luxurious office building. Nobody's there. Take the elevator to the top floor, and there is this gigantic office and this desk, and there's sitting this uh, really, really handsome, charismatic, well-groomed, well-dressed, pleasant expression guy, and that was himself, you know, Satan. And he looks up, and he sees me, he knows who sent me, and it's a very intense, he comes over to me, and I say to him, in the name of Jesus Christ, and then I start to say, I kill you, and the words came out, I kiss you. And he went, you know, white as a sheet, I kiss him on the forehead, and he crumpled down dead. And that was the end of the dream. I, and I remember telling Barbara the next day, I was like, you know, this was someone else's dream. <laughs> well, that's a not... great. That's a great kind of catechesis of Christianity at the heart of Christianity. There, you know, it's funny. I had another dream after my conversion experience, Roy. That I don't know if I've ever told you, but I was very confused. You know, I had to understand a lot of things that con- confused me. It's like, well, how come? You know, the Christians always say, uh, and Jesus say, it's only through me that you can find, you know, get to God. And I said, well, that seems unfair. Think of all the people that have never heard of Jesus. They were raised in another faith, and they're good people. They live good lives. That just can't be right. So, you know, I try. I, I was very confused about this. I had this other dream. I'm on the headlands, again, San Francisco, looking across to Marin County. And uh, there's this bridge. Uh, like the Golden Gate, but not. And it, and across the bridge are going millions and millions of souls, you know, uh, of all different religions and, and nationalities and everything. And I said, okay, so they're all, they're all going across. And then my perspective changed, and <clears throat> I was shown underneath the bridge that it was Jesus. He had his feet on one side and his hands on the other. And the people going across, they didn't know who it was. Hmm. So that was my answer. Wow. Wow. Well, that's really terrific. Um, I, I want to give you an opportunity. I, I promised, uh, or I, I mentioned, offered it to you too, uh, before, but uh, I'm not the only one on the show right now who's written a book. Oh, well, thank you, Roy. Um, yeah, I, I, I did write a novel. Uh, uh, you know, weird thing was, is I had just completed uh, The Coin of the Realm right before my conversion experience. And and, I, and then I had the conversion experience, and I, one of the things that I knew, first of all, in the first two weeks, that I had to completely rewrite the book, um, which then took me a couple of years. So, yeah, I published it in 2008. It's uh, Coin of the Realm. You were kind enough to write a nice review on the back, which I greatly appreciated. Well, let me give a little stronger plug than you're willing to do. I read it. I think it's great. It's essentially, I, I don't know if this is fair, but sort of a spiritual thriller. It's very gripping as uh, as a kind of dramatic, thrilling story in itself, and it's also got a tremendous kind of spiritual message undertone. And it's available on Amazon.com. The title is Coin of the Realm. The author is Roger Dubin. And um, uh, we just have a couple of 
a couple of minutes, probably about two minutes left in the show. Do you have any message you want to leave our listeners with? No, except though uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is how you're winding up the last two minutes. You're dumping it on me. Well, well, how about thank thank? I mean, you know, thank you for our conversion. <laughs> there you <laughs> go for the prayer. <laughs> well, um, I would say thank you for your friendship. Um, you know, the after after I read uh, Salvation is from the Jews, I just want your listeners to know I wrote to you and basically poured out my entire heart and soul to a complete stranger. Um, you were you wrote back very graciously, and then uh, uh, and we started a correspondence. It was very helpful. You were kind of a guru to me, and before we entered RCIA, and uh, and you know a few months later, when my wife and I went back east to see our our children and visit my father who had had a stroke, and you know I said, gee, I'm not sure where you are, but if you're going to be around in New York, would you could we get together? And you drove down all the way from Boston, and had lunch with us. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have to say that uh, that was an incredibly important uh, friendship for me because your book really showed me how to get from point A to point B, which I think was the first question you asked me. Um, it really showed me not only that, uh, as a Jew, I could make this journey, but it helped me to understand who I was as a Jew. I never really felt Jewish until I became Catholic. And it really helped me to understand what, how Judaism connected with the Catholic faith. And, uh, I suddenly felt part of, part of something really big. Um, and the fact that you had made that journey, um, showed me that I could too. Thanks. Let me stand now where I'm really going to get in trouble, uh, against the uh, time limit. But let me just close with a, a prayer, which I hope expresses um, expresses the show in a different way. And this is a kosher prayer. It's from it's from the Catholic Breviary uh, for the Week of Christian Unity. Uh, it's a prayer for the conversion of the Jews. And so I'll I'll read it, and that'll probably be the absolute terminal end of the show. O oh God, who manifest your mercy and compassion towards all people, have mercy on the Jewish race from the beginning, your chosen people. You selected them alone out of all the nations of the world to be the custodians of your sacred teachings. From them you raised up prophets and patriarchs to announce the coming of the Redeemer. You will that your only Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, should be a Jew according to the flesh, born of a Jewish maiden in the land of promise. Listen to the prayers we offer you today for the conversion of the Jewish people. Grant that they may come safely to a knowledge and love of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah foretold by their prophets, and that they may walk with us in the way of salvation. Amen. amen. So, amen. Thank you very much, Roger. Thank you all for listening, and uh, thank you, I hope, for joining us again next week at this time on Radio Maria. Bye for now. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Salvation is from the Jews with Roy Showman.